Uh, Ignaz Semmelweis. Who's heard of Ignaz Semmelweis? Hands up. No one. It's likely because I'm saying it wrong. But Ignaz Semmelweis was a doctor in 1846. And uh, he worked in a particular area of medicine where he, he worked with delivering babies. That was kind of his forte. And uh, he went to one place in particular where he was uh, doctoring, and there were two clinics right next to each other. And he was responsible for overseeing both those clinics. And, uh, and they both were childbirth clinics. And one was, was staffed by midwives, and one was staffed by doctors. And when he came there, he came to a startling discovery. And his startling discovery was that the, the clinic that was staffed by doctors had a five times higher mortality rate. Five times higher in childbirth. Because the women were dying of something called childbed fever. And no one could figure out why it was happening. No one knew. They just knew that it was happening and everyone came to accept it. And uh, Ignaz decided, you know what, this is not good enough. I need to find out what's going on and I want to make sure that this doesn't happen any longer. So he decides to examine the procedures and the practices of both the clinics, the midwives and the, and the doctors, to find out what's actually causing the, the childbed fever to spread so drastically, five times higher. So he starts looking. And then he sees that in the doctor's clinic, the women are giving birth on their backs. But in the midwife's clinic, they're giving birth on their sides. And he goes, well, maybe that's got something to do with it. I have no idea. It doesn't sound like it would, but maybe it, it is. So he goes to the doctor's clinic and he says, I want you to make sure all the women give birth on their sides, not on their back. And it made no difference. None. And he's like, okay, well, that's not it. What else could it be? So he starts looking again. And he sees that uh, every time a woman dies in the doctor's clinic, the priest would go through with a bell as the practice and would start ringing a bell to signify that another woman had died. And he's like, well, maybe the women are hearing the bell and they're terrified and they kind of just bring it on themselves and they die. Give them a break, it's 1846. And he says, okay, I want you to stop letting the priest go in and ringing the bell. No more priest. And see what happens. And the priest stops. Zero change. The mortality rate's still five times higher. And he's really scratching his head, trying to figure out what was going on. And then the last thing he figures out is, hang on, the doctors have a different function to the midwives because the midwives are delivering babies, but the doctors are not just delivering babies. They're also performing autopsies on the women who have passed away. Now, this is a time in history where data collection and, and learning more about the human body was, was huge. And he's realizing that the doctors are uh, giving these ladies who have passed away of childbed fever autopsies and then straight away going and delivering babies without washing their hands or their utensils, their tools. And you know what's crazy? Is germs weren't even a thing. Well, they were. They just didn't know about it. Because we're still 20 years away from Louis Pasteur discovering germ theory. Right? So this is before germ spread was really on anybody's radar and... Ignace is like, well, you know what? I don't think this is going to make a huge difference. I don't see why it would make a huge difference that they would go from autopsies to delivering babies. But like everything else, let's give it a go, right? So he goes to the doctors and he says to the doctors, what I want you to do 
is I want you to wash your hands after you've done autopsies, and I want you to wash your tools in chlorine. Now, he had no idea that it was a disinfectant, but the reason he said chlorine is because he was thinking maybe it's something to do with the smell, and that'll help with the smell. And sure enough, the mortality rate drops drastically. And we see now that washing your hands and your utensils is actually one of the biggest breakthroughs in medicine in our generation, in the last couple of generations, right? And he stumbled across it, and he didn't think that it actually was going to make a huge difference whatsoever. None whatsoever. Something so drastic now that we look at and we go, that just changed medicine, for him was like, well, let's just try this as well because it, it might work. Maybe it won't. How many times in your life have you looked back on a decision that you've made or something that you've figured out and realized it was actually much, much bigger than you initially thought? Yeah? And I want to use Ignaz Semmelweis as a metaphor for how we use our words. Because words are something that we throw out lots in a day. The average person throws out 16,000 words a day. 16,000. Some of us are skewing that number big time. I'm one of them. 16,000 words a day, that's enough to write a 60-page book every day. And how many of those words are we careful about? Or how many do we just throw around thinking they're just words? Yeah? Let's look at what the Bible says about the words. If I can get my clicker to go. There we go. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life to those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Um, it's a bit extreme, isn't it? The tongue can bring death or life. It seems a bit extreme. But out of the 16,000 words on average that we speak, how many fall through the cracks that we're careless with or that we're actually not careless with but we're happy to fall through the cracks? It's like going to the beach and picking up a whole bit of sand, right? You're going to hold most of the sand in your hand, but how many fall through the cracks of your fingers and you're like, it's just sand, it's just going to fall through? We are like that often with our words. So we say so many and some of them slip through the cracks and we think it's not a big issue, it's not a huge deal. But... The Word of God says that the tongue can bring life or death. So maybe what we should be doing is being way more careful about the words that come out of our mouths. And that's what we want to talk about today is, is the power of words. Because if Proverbs says the tongue can bring death or life, we've got to be able to say, well, let's, let's actually look into that because that's a really bold and big claim. Yeah? So turn with me, if you will. Grab your Bibles. By the way, that's the title, Power of Words for those taking notes, to Genesis, chapter 1, verse 3. It's easy, it's the start of your Bible, first verse, uh, first chapter, third verse. And it says, then God said, that word, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, making the fir- marking the first day. Now, here's the thing. I'm not telling you through this, please don't take away that I'm telling you that when you speak, you can create things. That's heresy. God does that. Yeah? 
But what I am telling you is that there is the power, like God, God here, what he's doing, let there be light, he is giving life. And you look at the whole creation account, and God continually gives life to the universe around us with his words. And then God called the light day and the, light, the darkness night. Then God is passing on identity through his words. And then in verse 28, he says to Adam and Eve, go and be fruitful, multiply. God, with his words, is giving a mission and a purpose. How many of us, with our words, affirm life? and affirm purpose, and mission, and identity. Because that is the power that we have to do in our words. That's the power we've got, is to speak life into people. How many of us have had been, sometimes had a horrible day? You come home from work, or you shut the door from school, and you shut the door, and you're just really upset, and someone will say something awesome to you. Someone will encourage you. Someone will speak life over you, will remind you who you are, what your calling is, what your mission is, and it lifts you up, and it just brings life into your body and into your soul. We have the power to speak life into people, and we should be doing that at every opportunity. But there's a flip side to that coin. Jump ahead two chapters. There we go. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. You see, on the flip side, Satan's words here are providing derision, division, rebellion, and death. As we know, the story continues and they have the fruit and curse mankind from then on. We have the same power in our words to speak death, to speak uh, derision and division and rebellion against God through the things that we say. Because we talked about having a bad day and someone says something and it just lifts you up. But how many of us have been having great days, fantastic days, the sun is shining, you're feeling great, God's speaking to you, and someone will say something to discourage you or tear you down, bring you down, make you feel horrible. You hear someone saying something about you that's not true and it just literally throws you in the dumps. And you forget who you are. You forget what you're meant to be doing. You forget who God's affirmed you to be because someone has spoken death over your life or questioned your identity. We have power in the things that we say and we need to be wise with the words that come out of our mouths. I grew up in a pretty rough household and my dad was not the greatest at affirming me. I remember there were days that my dad would walk into my room and he would open the door just to remind me that I was a no-hoper, a loser, and I would never amount to anything. And after I left school, I left school at the end of year 10. So I actually never finished year 12. So VCU guys who are doing their exam stuff, you're doing great. Keep going. But here's the thing, is I left school because I was so distraught about who I was. Because for four years, my dad would tell me that I was a loser... I was a no-hoper, and I'd never amount to anything. 
And here's the thing is you probably, you might be sitting there going, oh, that's a bit, uh, you know, precious of you, Adam, to react that way. But if someone speaks something over your life so drastically and so consistently, you believe it. You start to believe it and you take it on as your identity. And my identity was, I'm a no-hoper. I'm a loser. I'll never amount to anything. God's not got a plan for my life. I'm useless. Because someone was speaking death and derision and division in, in my life for so long. And then that all changed as I met Christine. And Christine started telling me that that wasn't true, that God had a purpose for my life. And she started highlighting the gifts that God had given me and that I should start using them for God and that I can actually have life by following God and being free with God. And I started to walk in that. And after many years, I started to actually believe it, not just know it, but believe it because she'd started speaking life into my life where someone had previously been speaking death into my life. Let me promise you, the things that come out of your mouth are powerful. The words that you say do bring death or life. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to use your words? Your 16,000 words a day, maybe more, How are you going to use them to encourage people, to raise them up, to speak life and to counteract the death that they've probably been hearing? I like this quote by Jeff Brown. sums it up perfectly. I probably should have just put this up. Words, so powerful. They can crush a heart or heal it. They can shame a soul or liberate it. They can shatter dreams or energize them. They can obstruct connection or invite it. They can create defenses or melt them. We have to use words wisely. We have to use words wisely. And as I was writing this sermon, I started to look at, at, uh, at the words that we speak and how we can start changing our patterns in the things that we say. Because if we don't change the things that we say and we keep bringing, speaking death over people's lives and we keep speak, uh, discouragement into people's lives, then... I don't feel like we're doing what God's called us to do. So how do we change that, right? And this is where I landed on how we do it. Words are a symptom. Write that down, it's important. Words are a symptom. Let me explain what that means. Coffee. I love coffee. Does anyone else here love coffee? Yeah, come on. Coffee's beautiful. Ah, coffee. I haven't had coffee in three months, so bear with me. Just daydreaming about coffee. I haven't had coffee in three months, and I'll tell you why. Because one morning I woke up, and I felt my heart racing, and it was going 105 beats a minute. That's not normal. That's not healthy. And I ended up going to the doctor, getting, a, uh, getting her to look at it. And she asked me the, the dreaded question, how much coffee do you drink? And I said, uh, I drink um, probably about seven coffees. And she goes, okay, how many a day? And I'm like, I have seven coffees 
a day. And she's like, I thought you meant a week. I'm like, no, no, that's a day. And she goes, you need to cut out coffee. There's too much caffeine for your body. You don't need that. And instead of reducing my coffee intake, I just cut it out. I'm like, you know what? I don't need that in my body. It's not nutritious. I'm just not going to have it, right? And today my heart rate's sitting around 68 to 70. Crazy difference, right? And my heart was in danger. My physical heart was in danger because I was pumping my body full of so much caffeine that it was just going crazy. And I'd never, ever have known it if the symptom of my, my heart rate hadn't told me, this is what you need to change in your life. Yeah? Symptoms are a fantastic thing, you know? Symptoms are fantastic because it actually draws us to the actual issue, the core issue, and says, deal with it because this is what's happening because of it. Words in and of themselves are not the issue. Words are a symptom. Words are a symptom to the big issue. Luke 6, 43, 45 tells us the issue. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from a treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Now, this is where I'm going to get personal here, guys. We're going to talk about us. It's going to be awesome, right? So instead of actually focusing on the behavior, which is still important, we need to focus on the behavior, but let's shift for a moment. Let's change gears and focus on the motivation. Because words come from the heart, so we need to really identify that the reason that sometimes we might say things that are horrible, we might gossip, we might slander, we might discourage, we might tear people down, is because something is wrong with our heart. That we have a sick heart. Because I don't know about you, but there have been times where someone will come up to me and say, hey, look, I've got something I need to tell you, not pastorally, just general, and say, but you can't tell anyone, and they tell me, and then I find myself like later just saying, oh, yeah, I heard this thing too. And I say it. And straight away, I'm just like, why did I say that? Why did I say that? Or there's times where uh, I hear something on the grapevine. And instead of saying, you know what, I'm just going to leave that there because I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's helpful. I don't know if it's kind but I've just heard this thing. Instead of leaving it there, there's been times where I, and I'm being vulnerable here, there's been times where I have said, you know, I'm going to tell someone else about that. And I tell someone else. And I'm sure right now that some of us can relate, like it's not just me, surely. And as soon as I gossip, as soon as I say something that I'm not even sure is true, I'm like, why did I say that? Why did I share that? Or there's times where there's someone has hurt me and I decide, you know what, I'm going to tell other people how this person's hurt me because I want to spread my pain as far as possible. And as soon as I do it, I'm like, why did I do that? 
Because if we can understand why in our hearts we decide to gossip and slander and tear people down and discourage and use our words negatively, if we understand why we do it, then we can be on the road to actually not doing it. Does that make sense? And I came up with three reasons why I think that we do this sort of stuff. Yeah? The first one is pain. Someone said something about us or someone's hurt us, right? Someone's done something that we don't like. And we hold unforgiveness or bitterness and resentment. And man, I tell you what, when that person hurt me, I'm going to tell everybody. I'm, man, I'm going to make sure people know how that person's a horrible person for doing that thing to me. Because if I can tell everybody else as quickly as possible how that person was in the wrong for hurting me, not only one, I can share my pain and make sure everyone else is feeling it with me, but also I can get people to rally with me. Pain, I think, is the one, number one reason that we speak negatively, that we share discouragement, that we speak division, rebellion, gossip, slander, tearing people down, pain, I reckon, is the number one reason. And if there is pain in your life that is causing you to speak negatively into someone's life or about someone's life to others, that has to be dealt with and I'll explain why in a little bit. The second thing is carelessness. Because how often do we know some information and we just say it? We just, you know, we don't think, we just say it. You know, as Mark said before during communion, like uh, Peter was one of those guys who didn't think, he just said. I've experienced that plenty of times. I just say something and I'm like, I'm just careless with my words. And then I realize after I've said it that I probably shouldn't have said the thing that I'd just said. And the last one, and I think this one's super dangerous, is a disregard for God's command. Is where we hear the truth. We hear that we shouldn't be speaking negatively. We hear that we should be speaking life and truth and positivity. But what we do is we speak negativity and we know that God says not to, but we decide to do it anyway. And that's a really dangerous one. And I think that when we speak death, into people's lives, when we use our tongue to speak death and not life, we're in danger of two drastic things. The first one is our freedom. We're in danger of our freedom. And what do I mean by freedom? I don't mean like freedom like America. Woo, like I mean freedom of our hearts. Those who the sun sets free are free indeed. Let me tell you, when you use your words to slander, to tear people down, to gossip, to talk about people behind their backs, to make sure people are discouraged and feel the pain that you've been feeling... You might feel justified, you might feel satisfied, you might feel proud, but I can tell you now, you don't feel free. You don't feel free. The freedom that comes from forgiving someone cannot be experienced by speaking death over someone. Does that make sense? The freedom that comes from forgiving someone or giving it to God and totally surrendering to our Heavenly Father, that is true freedom and that can't be bought, that can't be experienced any other way but surrender to God cannot be experienced through speaking negatively and speaking death. Our freedom is in danger when we won't let go of what's in our hearts and it affects the things that we say. Because God wants us to be free. And the second thing is, it affects our usability. It affects our usability. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. 
talks about uh, Samuel going to anoint the new king, who we know is going to be David. But at first, he's confronted with David's older brother, Eliab. And he looks awesome. He looks fantastic. He's built. He's tough. He looks like he's ready to be a king. And Samuel says, surely this is your king. And God's response is, no, I've already rejected him. Because what you look at is the outside. But I'm God. And I look at the heart. I look at the heart. And I can tell you now, God wants to use people who are totally surrendered. God can use anybody, but man, the power of someone who is absolutely surrendered, being used by God, is amazing. And if we're holding this unforgiveness and bitterness or resentment or carelessness or disregard for God's command in our heart, and it's coming out as these unwise words, let me tell you, the usability that you have is reduced. Proverbs 21.2 says, People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. Oh, there we go. Come on, just as I got it. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. And as you're sitting here, my prayer for you is not that you'll be sitting here going, Man, whatever. Yeah, you're just telling us. I'm not, I'm trying not, to, I'm not telling anyone off. This is for all of us, the wider church, um, how we use our words. But please don't be sitting here going, no, I'm all good, don't stress, no worries. Examine your heart because that's what God's examining, yeah? His standards are so different to ours and he examines our heart. And our heart is the source of our words. And if we want to change our words, we've got to examine our heart, change our heart. And I know what you're thinking because I was thinking this as I was writing this. Is this a sermon on words or is this a sermon on heart? I'm spending a lot of time on heart. You don't chop off a weed by cutting the tip and saying, job done. If someone's got a rotting tooth, you don't give it a quick brush with a toothbrush and say, job done. We have to deal with the core issue. And if words are a problem, heart's a problem. Words are a problem, hearts are a problem. So what do we do? Right? Apart from examining our heart, what are some practical stuff that we can do walking out of here today where we can really rein in our words and be wise with our words? Right? And I've got some real simple ones here and hopefully uh, they stick. All right. Now, nah, let's go next slide. All right. Discourage. How about instead of discouraging someone... What if we encouraged? Instead of discouraging someone, what if we encouraged? Because it's easy to see something that someone's doing wrong or something that someone's doing that we don't agree with and go, you know what, I'm just going to let them know that I don't like what they're doing. But how different it is to say, hey, this might be something worth thinking about, but man, look at all these amazing things that are happening in your life. Look what God's doing through you. Look at God's saying about you. Come on, this is awesome. Imagine if we... Instead of discouraged, we encouraged. The next one. What if we, instead of tearing down, we raised up? Instead of tearing down, we raised up. Because I can promise you, when people walk into a church and they see Christians who are talking about each other negatively, who are speaking death, I can tell you now, the only thing that tears down is the kingdom of God. 
What if we were so committed to raising up the kingdom of God that a natural byproduct of that is that every single person we encountered, we just were committed to raising them up? Yeah? Speaking life, affirming God's call on their life, encouraging in mission, encouraging in, in preaching, encouraging in leadership. What if we raised people up instead of tearing people down? Yeah? By the way, I'm not saying that's here. I'm not trying to say that's what we're doing. I'm just saying this is what generally the church as a world church should be aiming for. Next one. What about if instead of assuming motive, we give grace? Because it's very easy to assume motive. It's very easy to see something that someone has done that you don't necessarily like and assume a reason why they've done it. Man, Eleanor chose this song this morning for church. Man, she must really hate that other song that I really like. No. Well, man, like the youth ministry is doing a thing on mental illness. Man, I don't, you know, maybe Adam did that because, uh, you know, he just doesn't like the word of God and he wants to focus on worldly. No. What happened if, imagine what it would be like if we didn't assume motive whatsoever and we came in with a clean slate and we just gave grace to everybody. Right? Now, it doesn't mean we can't ask questions, but it means we don't come in assuming that someone has the worst in mind. Yeah? What about the next one? What if instead of talking about, we talk to? What about instead of talking about, we talk to? That one speaks for itself. If someone says something that you don't like, if someone has hurt you, if someone has discouraged you, don't spread that pain somewhere else. Go and talk to that person. Yeah? What if we talked to people who hurt and spoke life into them? Yeah? And last one. What about if instead of engaging in negative words, we challenged it? What if when we're sitting down and someone said, hey, have you heard about so-and-so and this is going on in their life? What if instead of engaging in that, we said, no, nah, that's not appropriate. That's gossip. Don't talk about it. No, nah. go and talk to the person if you've got an issue with them. Imagine if we challenged it. That would be fantastic. And these are things, by the way, the reason I've got these up there is because these are things that in my own heart I know are things that I'm like, you know what, they're things I need to get better at too. So please don't hear me up on the stage going, oh man, this is, this is you, this, like, this, is not, this is me, this is stuff from my heart that God's been challenging me on. And I'm hoping and praying that God can encourage you through that. Um, we have a, uh, a sign on the back of our kids' toilet door. And uh, it says, think. Think. You've heard the saying, think before you speak? Yeah? Let's go to the next slide and... and this is what it says on the poster. True, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind. Whenever you want to speak, run it through this filter. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Because if it doesn't meet this criteria, don't say it. But if it does, have at it. Let's encourage those around us. Let's raise up a generation. Let's speak life into everybody we encounter. 
Let's affirm their identity. Let's remind them who God's called them to be. Because I can tell you now, the more that we as a church, the worldwide church, the more that we affirm and speak life, I can tell you now, the better the kingdom becomes. Because people start walking in their calling. People stop fearing. People stop worrying about what people are saying. And people just go hard for God because it's all about them and God. And they're just getting affirmation from around them about what God's already said and God's already told them they are. And um, usually I finish with a, a quote. But I want to finish with this Bible verse, the one that I started with, because it's fantastic. Um, Proverbs eighteen twenty to 21. Words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. But I love that first bit. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. Wouldn't it be awesome? And by the way, you know when you have a good meal and you're like, oh, that was awesome. That was good. Yeah? Can you imagine that every time someone finished talking to you, that they walked around going, oh, that was good. That was amazing. Man, I love talking to them because I'm satisfied and they've just affirmed what God said over my life and I always walk away just spurred on from my calling and my purpose. And man, that per- I love talking to that person. Let's experience that. 